go to the very end of the book of Revelation. Can you believe it? I mean, I, would, I almost was able to say that this would be the last message in the book of Revelation, at least it's our verse-by-verse study. But uh, it's, the last, it's two of the last three verses, actually one and a half of the last three verses. There'll still be one verse, so we'll have one more time uh, in the book of Revelation. I almost preached it today. I looked at my notes and I prayed and I said, Lord, this is a message where I'm going to try to squeeze it all in by the end and I don't want to do that at the end of the book of Revelation. You know? So I'm going to basically go through the last half of the second to the last or third to last verse and then the second to last verse we'll cover as well. And then uh, we'll reserve verse 21 of Revelation 22, the very last verse, for a, uh, a final you know, climactic study in the book of Revelation. So we're on Revelation 22, uh, verse 18 and 19. We've looked at briefly. Actually, I shouldn't say briefly. We had a couple messages on them. But as far as the end of verse 19, we really haven't looked at much. And that's what we're going to hone in on it before we get to verse 20. But let's pick it up at verse 18. We've already looked at this. And I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And that could be something that's actually meted out in the afterlife in hell, or also definitely during the tribulation period for anybody during that time when this book becomes as relevant as it can possibly become, and people start trifling with it and messing with it because it's God's roadmap into the future, uh, they will partake of God's very wrath. In fact, God says to his own people in Revelation chapter 18, verse 6, Come out of her, meaning Babylon, my people, lest you partake of her sins and of her plagues. Okay, as Christians, we're not appointed to God's wrath. Amen. We'll be protected from the wrath. We're even protected from God's wrath today because of Revelation or Romans 1.18, it says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, of those who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So his wrath is already here. He already protects us from his wrath as believers. But in the end of days, believers that are cozying up with Babylon and saying we're taking over the world, and we're taking over Babylon, and we're going to rule before Jesus comes back. Woo, man, they're in trouble. Come out of my people, lest you partake of her sins and of her plagues. Very serious. So uh, then verse, ni- uh, verse uh, 19, there's another warning. And if anyone takes away, not adds, but now takes away. If you add, you're in trouble. But if you take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will what? Take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. Do not mess with the word of God. I remember years ago when I was a young pastor, Jeremiah 8, 8 stuck in my mind because it talked about the pens of the lying scribes, those who would seek to change the word of God. And we dare not do that. And my, my temptation here is to kind of you know, review many of the warnings I gave you about not adding or taking away in the scriptures and, and bringing you up to speed if you've missed it and everything. I'm not going to do that. I've done whole studies on that. In the last couple studies we had in the book of Revelation, I encourage you to get those, those studies. I want to focus more at the end of verse 19 and then verse 20 so I have time to deal with them sufficiently. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues, verse 18, right? But if you take away if anyone takes away verse 19 from the words of the book of this prophecy, the book of Revelation specifically, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. Wow. Now it's interesting because if you have the King James translation, which I think is a really good translation, except I do believe there's some serious problems with it, and one of them would be right here. Because if you have the King James, it says his name will be taken what? Out of the book of life. Okay? Well, which which are the better manuscripts? The ones that have book of life? Talking about the Greek manuscripts that are copies of the original manuscript, the original article, the original writing on the papyri that John wrote, the book of Revelation. You have the Greek manuscripts that we go back to, and then we translate into various languages, including English, to understand them. And people debate which manuscripts are better sometimes. And uh, Well, it's important to understand that uh, the manuscript that was used by the King James translators, okay, especially Erasmus, because that's who was translating the King James, was a very late manuscript, long, long, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years after the apostles. And we've got better manuscripts today. Uh, and by the way, that manuscript didn't have the end of the book of Revelation in it. So you know what he did? 
He went to the Latin Vulgate by the Roman, the Roman Catholic Church and took their copy of Revelation. He translated it into, from, you know, uh, Latin to Greek, thinking maybe this is what the Greek said. Then he translated it from Greek to English, saying maybe this is what it meant. You know? And he ended up with Book of Life. But you know how many translations, uh, you know how many manuscripts actually have Book of Life in them? Zero, not one. It's not in the text. Tree of Life is in the manuscripts. So if you have a King James translation, you might make a little note on the side of your Bible. Uh, now, what's the mean, what's, how does that change anything? It's, well, if you're blotted out of the Tree of Life, you're, or your part's taken out of, or if you're blotted out of the Book of Life, your part's taken out of the Tree of Life, it's pretty much the same thing. Because both are symbols of, right? They're both real, I believe, but they both have to do with eternal life. Amen? So, uh, but there's a difference also in the book of Revelation where it says, you know, blessed is he that washes his garments, right? That he can partake, right? That can, you know, he can go into the holy city. But the King James says, not blessed is he who washes his robes, but who keeps his commandments. Like you got to keep his commandments to get the right. Well, we don't have to keep his commandments to get the right. That's the fruit of our faith. It's by grace through faith that we're saved. So that's a little more, that's not a little, that's a lot more serious mistranslation. That's also the end of the book of Revelation. And uh, you look at the Greek manuscripts, you don't, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, best manuscripts as well don't have keep his commandments to have the right to have, enter the holy city. So there's some problems there. But I want to encourage you guys, and since we're studying, we're not just, you know, getting having some devotional message, book of Revelation. We're studying the book. So it's important to know these things, right? So, uh, so but this is serious because your part, if you take away from the book of life, I'm sorry, if you take away from the word of God, especially the book of Revelation, there's other warnings for all the books, right? But the book of Revelation specifically has this warning. Your part will be taken from the holy city. Your part will be taken from the tree of life. So don't mess with God's word ever. And most believers I'm talking to, I don't think would even come into their mind to do that, but obviously people do that. But I've already warned you before, you can also wipe out a lot of the book of Revelation by your interpretation. Then you don't just take out one verse. You can, you can put an interpretational spin on it in such a way to where the book is irrelevant to us, like the preterists do and so forth. I mean, they wipe out the entire, most of the entire book Full preterists say it's already all happened. We're already in the new heaven. We're already tears are wiped away, right? We're already have resurrected and so forth. And woo! And then you know the book of Revelation's been fulfilled. Well, that wipes out not just a verse or two, that wipes out the entire book. Well, what's God's judgment going to be on them? I leave that before God and them, okay? Because to me, uh, it's one thing to say I'm going to take this verse out. It's another thing to fall into interpretation that does that without ill intent, but it's still serious. You see what I'm saying? The effect is still serious by leave the souls of those that do that before God because it's a very, very serious thing, though. So I give warnings. Don't fall for interpretation that causes... Remember, again, what did the Pharisees do? Jesus said that because of their traditions, they were nullifying the word of God. And they were teaching the doctors of men as the commandments of God. That's a serious thing. Do not do that. Amen? Now, as we look at this, it's very, very serious. Uh, now, if anyone deletes, he is deleted. His part is deleted from the holy city, right? So what's interesting is, is many want to get around this warning because many don't want to believe Many don't want to believe if you deleted the book of Revelation, you could lose your inheritance. You could lose your, your place in the kingdom. They want to believe, oh no, even if you're so rebellious against God that you twist his word, that you can still be saved in the end. But that's not what it says. In fact, this is not a warning to primarily to non-believers, right? I wouldn't tell somebody you know, that didn't have citizenship in the United States Watch out, you can, lose your, your part in the, uh, you can lose your citizenship in the United States. That wouldn't make any sense. In fact, Marty Cauley states on this verse, uh, a believer can lose his or her portion inheritance uh, from the tree of life. Obviously, one cannot lose something he does not have. Genuine believers are in danger of losing their right to this tree. Unbelievers have no right to this tree to lose. Are you with me? So this is definitely a warning of a forfeiture of salvation, of loss of salvation or loss of uh, 
once part in the tree of life and the holy city. And by the way, if you lose your part in the holy city, that also would mean your name would be blotted out of the book of life, right? So that, that would be entailed, even though the text doesn't explicitly state that. Other texts give such warnings. Uh, now what's interesting is I've looked up and studied more than once now uh, the Greek meros, M-E-R-O-S, if you're doing a transliteration into English. And the Greek word meros is quite interesting and that's the word that's translated portion or his part or his share, depending on your translation, of the tree of life. When you lose your part in the tree of life, if you lose your part in the holy city, the Greek word is meros in the original, in, how, in what John, the word that the apostle John had used. And I think that's interesting because the word meros, uh, it means a part, a portion, share, division, heritage, as an in inheritance, and all this could be lost. Now, it's interesting. The wicked, they have another part, right? What's their part? The same Greek word meros is used of the wicked and what their inheritance is. In fact, go to Revelation chapter 20. It's used there. Verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who has part in what? The first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests to God, or of God, and of Christ, and will reign with him for a thousand years. So we as believers, our part is what? In the tree of life. We have part in the holy city, in inheritance of the holy city. We also will have be partakers of the what? First resurrection. Amen? What do we partake of the first resurrection? However, the wicked, their part or their inheritance is altogether different. Look at Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter, I'm sorry, 21. Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part, see the word part there? In the Greek, that's meros, okay? Their part, their share, their division, their inheritance, where they're going, their part will be in what? The lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now those who are headed to the lake of fire, and their part is in the lake of fire, and their part is not in the holy city, it's not in the tree of life, it's not in the first resurrection, right? Can those who have, have a part in the lake of fire, that's where they're headed, that's where they're going, can they change their inheritance can it be changed can god change that before they die absolutely otherwise we'd all be doomed because we were all damned we were all children of wrath amen we're all enemies of god amen, amen. alienated from the hope and life and love of christ but when we came to christ our part is no longer in the lake of fire amen now we are going to be partakers of the holy city of the first resurrection of the tree of life amen Praise God. But notice that the wicked have a part, but also just as the wicked have a part that they're going to, but they can come to Christ and their destinies can be changed. So also, we have hope in Christ. Our part is in the holy city. But if we say, well, I really don't like these verses, you know. I'm going to just kind of eliminate them from the book of Revelation. Then there's a serious problem. Or if we try to teach people to ignore certain passages as though they don't pertain to them, as I said before, that could be really dangerous. And again, I put them in God's hands because it's still very, very dangerous because the devil just doesn't come saying, I'm just going to delete half this book. No, people wouldn't fall for that. He deletes a lot of it by just saying it's irrelevant to you. And that's serious. Like I said, though, a lot of people are deceived. I don't, and that bought by into that, I don't believe they willingly are trying to deceive. I just believe they're deceived. So again, God sees the heart, and I leave that before him. He's God, we're not. Now it's interesting, this word meros, it's used of an inheritance in Luke chapter 15, verse 12, right? Uh, what did the prodigal son say when he decided to leave his dad and be involved in loose living? And live? He said, Father, give me my what? Give me my inheritance early. Give me my part. Give me my share. He wanted his inheritance early. And the Greek word there is meros, okay? Same word that's used of what you can lose in Revelation chapter 22, uh, verse 19. So, uh, uh, so this is very important. Uh, you can lose your meros. So the, I'm just saying the word meros can refer to your inheritance or your part, your share in something. And it's important 
that we get this. Now, it's interesting because there are a number of people trying to get around this warning that want to believe, no, God would never do that. I believe you can delete from the book of Revelation and, and uh, even though you lose your part in the book of life, or I'm sorry, in the tree of life, and, which is really ironic, huh? It's really ironic that that scripture right there that warns about not changing the word of God has book of life when book of life isn't in the manuscripts, right? It's just so weird. That, that's just ironic to me. But it's interesting. Uh, when you look at this, people want to believe. Well, they believe. A lot of people do, Okay. A lot of those that are involved in the so-called free grace movement will teach out of Dallas Theological Seminary and so forth, want to teach that you can delete from the book of Revelation and you'll lose your part, yes, from the tree of life and the holy city, but you'll still be in heaven. You just won't have the access to the tree of life and the holy city. No kidding. A guy named Dillo, one of the leaders in that movement, was teaching that, okay, and in fairness, that came under a lot of scrutiny, and a lot of people came against that view that were also at Dallas Theological Seminary that said, no, that's not right, you know. They've written books against each other's views on that. So there are some out there teaching, even if you do delete from the book of Revelation, if you've been saved, you'll still get into heaven. You just can't eat from the tree of life, and you still just, you just don't have access to the holy city, but you'll still, still be in heaven. That's a serious lie, okay? Because that's letting people think that they can actually... Just live wicked lives, whatever it is. A lot of people wouldn't delete from the book of Revelation, but they could just, they're taught that they could live wicked lives. And as long as they went up to an altar call and accepted Jesus, they can be adulterers and they can be drunkards and they can be, you know, just live headlong a life of rebellion and sin against God and they'll still inherit God's kingdom. But it's interesting when we're talking about the word memros, remember, Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, or meros, I'm sorry, meros, M E R O S, meros. Uh, when we talk about that Greek word, we talked about Luke, right? 15, 12, give me my meros early, right? That inheritance. But we're warned in Scripture, in, in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, uh, know ye not that the unrighteous will not, what? Inherit the kingdom of God. Be, let no one deceive you. Be not deceived, right? If you live these wicked lifestyles as drunkards and adulterers and homosexuals and fornicators and all that. You will not inherit God's kingdom. So we've got to be serious about our walks with Jesus. Amen? You have to be very, very serious about your walk with the Lord and make sure that you're on the straight and narrow path. Amen? And that you, when the enemy tries to deceive you to go off the narrow path onto the broad road that leads to destruction, you need to be aware that broad road does lead to destruction. You can't be on the broad road and think it still leads to life. Remember, Jesus says, enter the narrow gate, Right? Broad and spacious way it leads to destruction, and many go that way. Broad is the gate, spacious way it leads to destruction, many go that way. But, but narrow is the gate, straight is the way it leads to life, and few are those who find it. One road leads to destruction, and one road leads to life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Stay on the Jesus way, amen? amen? He's the only way. If you get off the Jesus way, don't con yourself to think this still leads to life because I'm on the broad road. But guess what? I once, once on the Jesus way. No, it leads to destruction. Now, this teaching that, hey, you know what? You know, yeah, some will, so they'll say, yeah, you can lose your part because they'll admit, yeah, this part is talking about losing your part because you're losing your share. Obviously, it's a warning that applies to believers because they're the ones that have part or inheritance or share. So yeah, it's true, you can lose that, but all you're doing is losing access to the tree of life and the holy city, but you're going to still be in heaven having a good time. Isn't it weird what people do to try to get around Scripture? And by the way, that doesn't work. That doesn't work at all. Because go to look at the promises and warnings regarding the tree of life. Go to Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. Revelation chapter 2. This is a warning to the church at Ephesus. And, and in, to the church of Ephesus, there's these strong warnings about, you know, all the seven churches, there's these warnings and promises. But the warnings about falling away are severe. Like, I'll spit you out of my mouth, right? Things like that. And what's contrasted with damnation for those who are overcomers, it's important, are salvific pictures and the blessings of salvation. In fact, when you go to Revelation chapter 2, in verse 7, he's warning the church at Ephesus. He encourages them because they're a very discerning church. You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. He commends them for that. And you hate the deeds of Nicolaitans, he also says, which I also hate. So he, he's, he's warning this church, but he's commending the church as well. But he has a few things against them. He has something against them. What is that? 
Not a few things. He has something against them. They have left their what? First love, right? He says they do a few things. What? Remember for whence thou art fallen, repent, and do the first works. And he says if they don't repent, he'll remove his what? Lampstand out of their place. Amen? And where's the lampstand? In his presence. Revelation 1, the, 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 the vision he has of the Apostle John has of Jesus. He's standing in the midst of the seven lampstands. Amen? He, their churches are in his presence. But if this church doesn't repent because they've left their first love, he'll remove their lampstand, them, from his presence. That's serious stuff. He walks in the midst of our fellowship. And you know what? We encourage you to be discerning, amen? To be scriptural, be men and women of the word of God, amen? But what do I always encourage you all the time about as well? Make sure you keep your love light lit, amen? Make sure you're growing in your love for God. Make sure you're praying, God, help me love you with my whole heart, soul, strength, and mind, amen? Help me love my neighbors, myself. Help me love my brother, brethren fervently. Help me love my enemies. Help me love my wife as Christ loved the church. Titus 2, women, love your husbands and your children, amen? I preach that all the time. Because you have to preach both love and truth. Amen? Speak the truth in love, Paul says in Ephesians 4. So you don't want, because if you have all truth out love, you're a Pharisee, you know? If you're into the truth, you know, but you don't love people, you don't love God, and you don't share with people wanting the lost to be saved, and you don't encourage your brethren because you want them to grow, then you're just going to be a big Pharisee. But if you're just all about love, but you don't care about the truth, then you've got sloppy agape, and it's not really love either. You know? It's not, you never heard sloppy agape? Then you've got sloppy agape, man. Because it's not, but it really isn't the love of God because those that love God, right, they love him and they love his word because his word springs from his heart. Amen? So this is all very, very important, guys. Very, very important. Now, in Revelation 2.7, look at this. It's beautiful promise. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Not this church of Ephesus. It's to all of, all of us. We're supposed to all hear it. To him who overcomes, I will what? Grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So the, the believer, we have to be overcomers. And this is what's being taught that's false. Okay, this is important. They're saying there's believers that are overcomers. And then there's believers that are not overcomers, that fall away, commit apostasy, backslide, don't really f carnal, professing believers, but they'll still be in heaven. Well, there's a problem with that. Because when you study the overcomer in the book of Revelation, or just in the Bible, you know, in Revelation or 1 John chapter 5, it says, He that is born of God, and it's in the perfect tense, he that is born of God and continues to be born of God, overcomes the world through his faith. This is the victory, our faith. So all believers, true believers, have faith, amen? amen? And if you are in the faith, you are a what? Overcomer. You may be a super strong overcomer in Christ. You might be a, a middling overcomer. You might be kind of a weaker overcomer. But still, you're overcoming. Amen? amen? Because if we're overcome rather than overcome, as the Bible says in Romans 12, don't be overcome by the world, but, right, by evil. I'm sorry, it said don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And if we're overcome by the world... 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17 says, Love not the world. It's about the evil wickedness in the world. Love not the world, neither things in the world. For all that is of the world is lust of flesh, lust of eyes, and the pride of life. And the world is passing away. And the lust thereof, what's lusting after is passing away too. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So it's not three paths, there's two. Amen? The path of righteousness, amen, and the path of the wicked. There's two roads. Okay, and how do you overcome? What does it mean to continue in the faith? Revelation 12, 11. Speaks of believers, how they overcame Satan. And they overcame Satan. You remember what it says? Three things. They overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb. That's the ground of our victory, man. What Jesus did on the cross, his death for our sins, his, his resurrection and triumph over the evil one, right? They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Through Christ's blood that you're saved from the accusations of Satan and from the wrath of God that we deserve, amen? And then it says, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, Amen? We get saved if we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead and we confess Jesus Christ as Lord, right? You shall be saved. The word of our testimony. Amen? And then it goes on to say, and they did not love their lives even to the point of death. Meaning, guess what? They continue to trust the blood of Christ and they continue to maintain their testimony until death. That's the overcomer. And those are the ones that have life. Now, let me make this even clearer is 
in Revelation 2.7, you see the contrast uh, between being taken from his presence and that would be the same as not having access to the tree of life. But look at the warning he gives to the church of Smyrna. Verse 8, the very next church. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the first and the last who, has, uh, who was dead, who has come to life, says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich and the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Look what he says. Be faithful unto what? Death. And I will give you what? The crown of life, which Peter says is given to all those who love him. It's not just for certain believers. Some teach the crown of life is a reward just certain believers get. No, look at... Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. It says, Blessed is a man who endures temptation, testing, parasmos. For after he's been tested or, and approved, right, he will receive the crown of life, which God gives to all those who love him. Amen? Faith works through love. So love and faith are connected together. Amen? And those who continue to love him. And then he contrasts that with his verses 13 through 16 of those who give a, live a life of sin. And the end, he says, is death. He says, don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. So the life is, the crown of life is something that all believers get. In fact, in the Greek, it's the crown which is life. And say, same here, it can be translated, crown which is life. The crown is life itself. Amen? Now look what he says at the end of verse 10. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you what? The crown of life. So it's interesting. You have the crown of life in the Revelation. You have the water of life. You have the book of life. You have the tree of life. They're all about the life, the eternal life we have in Christ. Amen? Verse 11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the what? Second death. Now, brothers and sisters, the second death we see in Revelation chapter 21, verse 8 and 11 through 15 of chapter 20 is the lake of fire. So those who are faithful receive the crown of life, but those who are not faithful, right, they go where? They go and experience the second death. Are you with me? It's not like you get a different place in heaven. You just don't partake of the crown of life and the tree of life and your name's not written in the book of life and you don't have the water of life, but you're just still chumming in heaven, so chilling outside the gates saying, oh, it's still really cool, but wish I wasn't there. No, there's not, that's not going to be going on. In fact, it gets even clearer. Go to Revelation chapter 20, 21. 21. He describes heaven in verses 1 through 6, right? I mean, praise God. All the tears will be wiped away. There won't be any more death, verse 4. No mourning or crying, right? First things have passed away. Then he says in verse 7, he who, has, he who what? Overcomes will what? Inherit these things, plural, right? In all these things. You know, not in, I mean... Uh, not just a few of these things, but these, all the overcomers inherit all these things together. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I mean, all these promises to the, the churches apply to believers who are overcomers. And by the way, in verse 7, he who overcomes will inherit all these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. We're talking about even relationship here. But look, it's contrasted with those who don't overcome, and what happens to them? Verse 8, but for the cowardly, that's those who renounce their faith. And unbelieving, and abominable, and murderers, and immoral persons, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Do you see the contrast again? Just like in Revelation chapter 2, it's a crown of life versus the second death. In Revelation chapter 21, it's being an overcomer, or what? Going to the second death, the lake of fire. It's so clear in Scripture, guys. And if it couldn't get any clearer, go to Revelation chapter 22, the last chapter that we're in. Verse 1, Then he showed me a, a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and the Lamb. And guess what? With regard to the water of life, we as believers, what's our mission? Verse 17, The Spirit the bride say, Come. Let him that hears say, Come. Whosoever let him come and drink of the what? Water of life freely. We invite people into the heavenly kingdom to partake of the water of life which is a symbol and a picture of eternal life, although it's also a reality. I believe there's going to be a role of, of uh, river of life coming out of the throne of God. And even as we partake of his salvation by his spirit, 
we'll literally be partaking of a tree of life and the river of life. Amen. And it says they'll partake of the trees, which is for the healing of the nations. And somehow that ties to into our resurrection and, and continue to enjoy our fellowship with God forever. It's just amazing. But look at verse 2. In the middle of its street, on each side of the river, was the what? The tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees were for the what? Healing of the nations. Amen. So guess what, man? <laughs> and by the way, if it didn't get any clearer, look how clear it gets in verses 14 and 15, where partaking of the tree of life is contrasted with damnation. Verses 14 and 15. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to what? The tree of life. And may enter by what? The gates of the city. Outside are the what? The dogs and sorcerers and immoral persons and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. Brothers and sisters, come on. Outside the city is outside of God's presence. Because the city, the dimensions are 144,000 by 144,000 by 144,000, which is a, a perfect square cube, which is the dimensions on a smaller level, perfect square, of the Holy of Holies. Amen? And only the high priest could go in there. Now we have access, and it was a picture in the temple, the holiest place of the very presence of God. And only the high priest could go in there once a year. But through the shed blood of Jesus and what he did on the cross and allowing his flesh to be ripped, which is a picture of the veil that kept them from heaven. But he's the true veil. Amen. Because his holiness keeps us from the very presence of God. And when he dies on the cross, he, his love, he says, I'm going to be ripped. He was ripped so we could be, he was ripped in our place so we could be forgiven, so we could have access through the veil into the holiest place. Amen. And we get access to the holiest place. That's the very, very kabod. That's the glory of God. Amen? So we have access into his presence. To be outside of the holy city is to be outside of the very presence of God. Oh yeah, but you know, we'll still be there in heaven. We'll just, you know, we'll just, it just we'll, can't eat, drink, partake of the tree of life, the, you know, the water of life and all that, but we're still there. No. It says who you're with. You're with the abominable. You're with the dogs. You're with the sorcerers. You're with the idolaters. You're with the liars. And to be outside of God's presence, Jesus used a picture over again. He calls it outer darkness. Well, many of these people say, well, outer darkness is still, you're still in God's kingdom. No kidding. But you know what? You know what just puts a, just the last nail in the coffin here? Is in verse 15, when he says, outside of the dogs and the sorcerers and immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. That's the same list that I just read to you in Revelation 21.8. Same list, basically, of those who go to the lake of fire. Just go read Revelation 21.8 again. I'm not going to. I already read it. Already read it. You can go back and check it out. So it's not, you're not still in heaven. And I don't believe there's men thinking about how can I deceive people and turn them away from Christ and damn their souls with false doctrine. I just believe people just get, I don't know everybody's hearts. I try to get people benefit out, but I believe a lot of these guys actually believe what they're saying and have just been deluded by the evil one. Well, how could that happen? You can compromise your walk. And then it can, you can force you to compromise, if you let it, your doctrine to accommodate your wicked walk. Is that what happens to all of them? No, I'm not saying that. With some of them, though, because you'll see that false teachers that t turn grace into license in Jude have a wicked walk. And Jude warns, right? He, he says, I, I was going to talk to you, you know, write to you about our common salvation, right? But he said the Lord put something on his heart to warn you about those who have crept in no unnoticed those who long before were marked out for this condemnation, who turned the grace of God, what Jesus did on the cross for us, into a license for immorality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. So the Bible warns that there are those who have crept in the church who are turning God's grace into a license, and that talks about the wickedness of their walk and how they don't fear God and so forth. At least some of those guys are doing this, and a lot of other people are picking it up and sharing it, even though they are, don't, aren't living necessarily a wicked life. It can lead to a license for sin. Serious, serious, serious stuff here, guys. So you can lose your part, your meros, your meros, your inheritance, your part in the tree of life. You're saying I could actually have an inheritance in the tree and lose, and that's what the book of Revelation says, that you can lose your part in the holy city. You can lose your inheritance. Be not deceived. Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? That's a warning to believers. Now, 
And by the way, it's kind of interesting too, uh, when you think this through, just think about the tree analogies that Jesus uses. He says to his elect apostles, Judas had already left to commit, he already fell away to go betray Jesus in John 13. You get to John 15, he's only talking to his elect apostles. He says, you are clean through the word which I've spoken to you. He's only talking to clean ones. Every branch in me that bears fruit will what? Every branch that abides in me, he says, will bear fruit. Amen? In him. If anyone be in Christ, we read in 2 Corinthians 5.17, he's a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away, all things become new. So if I'm in Christ, I'm a new creation. He's warning his believers, you're clean. He's telling us to his apostles, the word I've spoken to you. Amen? Amen. But he says in verse 6, if a man does not abide in me, remain in me. The Greek word meno means continue, stay, remain. If a man does not remain in me, he's, you know, he withers, right? He dies, he withers on the vine, and he's cut off and cast in the fire to be burned. It actually says they cast in the fire to be burned. Who's they? I believe that's the angels in, in um, Matthew chapter 13 who also do that with the tares. They take the tares, they throw them in the fires of hell, it says. So in John 15, 6, he warns those who are in Christ, who are elect, chosen apostles, 11 of them, to continue to abide in him, or they could be what? Not just lose access to the tree of life in Revelation 21 or 22, verse 19, but they could be cut off of Jesus, right? Who is the ultimate tree of life and be thrown in the lake of fire. Or... In Revelation 20, the Apostle Paul uses the analogy for those who are high-minded against the Jews and high-minded against Israel, believing God's done with Israel, right? And that we're the new chosen people. We're it now. And that since we're it, that'll never change. Once we're saved and we're in this tree, we'll always be there. And Paul says, no, don't be high-minded against the branches that were broken off. If the natural branches were broken off and you, by contrary to nature, as unnatural Gentile branches, were grafted in among the branches that were still remaining... Don't be high-minded, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you the unnatural branches. And they tell us them to continue in the faith. He's not warning non-believers. Do you warn non-believers at work that don't know Jesus? Hey, you need to continue in faith. No. He warns believers, continue in faith, otherwise you too will be cut off. It's just clear as could be. Well, why don't more people preach it? Because it's contrary to what people want to believe. They want to believe they can just live and do what thou wilt and call themselves Christians. That's true for many of them. I'm not saying all of them. Some just, you know, been taught that or they just, you know. But I believe we have a duty before God to look close at all the scriptures and not go like this to them if they don't fit our theology. Amen? Amen. So it's very, very important. Now, it's interesting. Uh, the, the, the reality is, the true issue is that Jesus Christ offers us salvation, amen? amen? When you offer salvation to people, is it unconditional or conditional when you share the gospel with people? Do you say, hey, I'm, I'm going to offer the gift of salvation to you. It's unconditional. You just don't even have to receive it. There's nothing you have to, you don't have to repent. You don't have to have faith. It's just going to be yours because everybody's going to be saved. Do you say that? No, that would be a lie. It's conditional. You tell people they must repent and put their faith in Christ. Amen. And that salvation is by grace through faith, not of yourselves, a gift of God, not of the works that anyone should boast. But they have to put their trust in Jesus. Salvation is conditional. That's the real issue. Once you receive Christ, all of a sudden the salvation doesn't become unconditional all of a sudden. Right? Paul says the just shall live by faith. The author of Hebrews says the just shall live by faith, but he draws back. That's the just one, the one that's been justified. My soul will have no pleasure in him. So these are very, very important warnings. Now, uh, let's go to verse 20. How many are betting he's not going to get to verse 20? Here we are. <laughs> Revelation chapter 22, verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And we already dealt with the front end of that, actually, to a degree, is about him coming quickly. You know, it's like, How could he be coming quickly? It's been 2,000 years. We talked about that. How long is 2,000 years in God's economy? How long? Two days. How many of you just said today, your pre-trib? Today. (laughs) Uh, Two days. Because Peter says a day day is like 1,000 years, a 1,000 years is like a day. Amen. And God wants us to have his perspective. I can show you prophecies where God says, shortly this will come to pass. And it comes to pass four or 500 years later. And we think, wow. 
Man, but perspective is everything. Because I know when I was a little kid, you know, and Christmas was coming, and it was a week away or two, it seemed like forever. Peek in and see the gifts in my mom's room, dad's room. And man, every day just dragged on and on. Now when you're getting ready for Christmas, if you celebrate Christmas, and there's a week left, how is it? does it go real slow? Boom, it goes real fast. It's perspective, you know. And uh, with the Lord God, uh, he inhabits eternity, amen? So time is just a blip on the radar, and he wants us to get our heads around that, that eternity is forever, amen? And he is, he's coming quickly. Some try to say, well, quickly means he's just gonna, when he comes, it's gonna be, he's going to travel real fast. I go, no, that's not what he's saying right there. He's just saying, you know, that's how they try to get around it. It's like, no, there's a better way around it. The better way around it is just put Scripture with Scripture and realize how God sees it. In 2 Peter, where he says that God's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And God's not slack, but he's patient toward you. Amen? Not willing that any would perish, but all would come to repentance. And he says, hasten or speed up the coming of the day of the Lord, meaning get off your rear end and become a witness to the lost because he's left us here. And Jesus says, with the gospel, kingdom is preached in all worlds, witness to all nations, then the end will come. Paul says, the fullness of Gentiles has come in, then the deliverer will come from Zion. He's waiting for us. But then it's like, you know, where's the promise of coming? He starts off the chapter that way that mockers will say, where's the promise of coming? He knew that was going to happen. And then that's when he says, hey, the kind of, the, for time, with regard to time, you know, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day, meaning it's just insignificant to the Lord. And for him, this is just a blip on the radar. And he wants us to see that in light of eternity. Amen? Now, the last part of that verse, he, has, he, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Then I love what John says, amen, which means truly, truly, you know, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. He cries out for the Lord to come, amen. Come, Lord Jesus, longing for his return. Do you think you're going to be here forever in this world? No, this world's passing away. In fact, the Bible describes your life as being like a vapor. Wait, my life's not a vapor. Vapor is just here for a second, then it's gone. That's exactly what James says. But I'm here for 70, 80 years. Why does he say it's like a vapor? Because that's God wanting us to have his perspective. The Bible says it's like a hand's breadth. It's like nothing. There's one verse that says that, that our lifespan is as nothing. <laughs> it's like nothing before God as far as its length goes. So we want to make sure you're right with God. Because we have all these plans and, and all these things you want to do. And I want to see this and I want to see that. And God, don't come before this happens. But do you realize you'll never think that when you die and go to heaven? You'll be, man, I wanted to go visit this castle. Or, man, I wanted to do this, you know. You won't be bummed out about anything like that. You'll be like, man, I didn't make it to the Grand Canyon. You'll be like so overwhelmed with God's beauty and the kingdom. You'll be like, Pfft. there'll be some regrets. Tears will be wiped away. There'll be regrets that we didn't bring more people with us. Amen. There'll be regrets that we didn't love people more that we didn't call this person or, 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 or fellowship with that person when we had opportunity. So make sure, there'll be some regrets. I want to erase as many regrets as possible. I mean, I wish sometimes, but I don't because it's not God's will. But sometimes my wife's like, I wish there was more. You're, you're so busy. She doesn't complain. It's just beautiful. She's really, I look at her. She's real busy too. She goes, but I'm always on your coattails. So yeah, if, you know, I don't need to clone myself because praise, I'm glad there's not more than one. I mean, my wife's probably glad about that too, right? <laughs> but but we all got a lot to do for the Lord. But I just want to keep doing what he puts in before me and cry out, pray your will be done. We all ought to be praying that. Lord, help me affect people. I can guarantee you when we have Anita's funeral, it's going to be so beautiful because she's touched people for the gospel. She's loved people and the love she's shared will carry on through this life for so many people and into eternity. And we want to make sure our lives count. Make your life count. Make your life count. So into the lives of other people. Encourage people. Disciple people. If you're older brother or sister in the Lord, it says for the older sisters in the Lord to, uh, you know, to teach the younger sisters. Are you doing that? If you've been in the Lord for some years and you know the scriptures decently, and praise God, a number of you are. We have you know, Bible studies for women here that women teach, but it's not just talking about Bible studies for women. It's talking about women that are in those Bible studies that are learning the word of God. When you see new sisters in the fellowship, you should be encouraging them in the Lord. Ask them out for coffee. Amen? Say, hey, let's, let's get together for fellowship. I'd love to spend some time with you. You don't have to say, I'm your discipler, and you're just going to learn from me. No, you just let it, be, let it be natural, you know? I mean, some people call, 
each other disciples and disciples, that's fine. But I'm just saying, we should naturally be going about the Lord's business, amen, and discipling. And the older man, man, Paul tells Timothy, disciple others, and, and then they'll disciple others, and they'll teach even more. So you, you men that have been in the Word for some time, you could always find men, if you've been in the Word for some time, that know less than you, that are newer. Oh, but I think this guy might even know more than me. But get together with him anyway. Iron sharpens iron. We sharpen each other. I spend time with believers all the time. My brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm like so close to my brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not funny because that's been my life. So I know everybody, I know so many people here are so good because I just fellowship with my brothers and sisters all the time. Have home fellowship at my house after this, you know. And we've been doing those things for years. And throughout my week, I'm with brothers and sisters. So it's really beautiful because I get built up by them. If you've spent time with me, you'll notice that I listen to you. I love you. And you, you encourage me too. And, and I'm blessed by your walks, you know. Let's, well, praise God. Love you too. Amen. Right, right back at you, brother. Uh, it's, it's beautiful. Larry's a brother I fellowship with quite a bit. We're texting each other. I just think I texted you yesterday, bro. That was you that said that, right? If it wasn't, that Doug's got a lower voice than I thought, man. <laughs> but, you know, th that's how it works. We need to disciple each other, encourage each other, bless each other. Praise God for the men's retreat coming up, the youth retreat, the women's retreat. Amen. Try to go to those things if you can. Amen. So important. But he says, this is a trip. He says, even so, come Lord Jesus. Now, this, that may seem very insignificant to you. It's incredibly significant. It's incredibly significant. And you know what? Hmm. I'm tempted right now to try to squeeze in what I want to say about this verse, the end of this verse, the very last part of it. But it's a... A heavy, heavy truth, that prayer, is something that you pray, and your prayers actually help set in motion because it's the Lord in his providence and sovereignty ordained it this way, his second coming, and the judgments that lead up to his second coming. It's really crazy when you think about it. And I've got a lot of verses I want to go to, but then I'm going to hurry through them, and I'm going to be bummed out because I'm going to keep you late, or I'm going to cut off where I don't want to cut off. So I'm hesitant to go into them. So how about we have... Two more studies, that, and then the last study after that. Or you know what I could do? I'll just put both studies together. We'll, just, we'll wrap it up by covering the very end of that verse, amen, and then the Re Revelation chapter 20, uh, the very last verse next time we're together. So we'll still finish with one more, but I don't want to get too deep into that because it's just too powerful. It's, it's too amazing because I want you to realize how important it is that you're praying, even so come Lord Jesus, and that you're praying your kingdom come. He's asking you to pray about his kingdom. And he works your prayers into the fulfillment of that coming. Oh, you're going to say, he, 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 you're saying he answers our prayers by his coming? Yeah. He's sovereign. Well, what if I don't pray? Well, he's still coming. Too bad you weren't praying for it. You're not ready for it, though. <laughs> you know? So we'll look at that another time. But I want to encourage you guys in, in the Lord Jesus that your life, the Lord wants to use you. Okay? Sometimes I love that symbol, that picture, you know. And I can't wait for our next trip to the book of it, the, the, uh, to Israel. But we love to go to the Sea of Galilee. It's so beautiful. I mean, Tahoe is beautiful. The Sea of Galilee is incredibly beautiful. It's like a huge lake. We take a boat trip on there, sing praise songs. The guys that rent the boat are Christians. We just worship the Lord together. We talk about what Jesus did on that lake. But the beauty of that lake is because, as you know, Remember that? Some of you know what we've talked about this before. Water flows into the lake. The Jordan flows into the lake, right? But does it just stay there? No, water flows out of the lake. Amen? That's beautiful. That's a picture of what we're supposed to be as believers. We're supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You've been blessed. How many of you have been blessed by the Lord? Amen? You're saved. You've been blessed. Amen? You have access to the tree of life. Praise God. Your name is written in the book of life. Praise God. Amen? You have access to the, 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 the water of life. It's all so beautiful. But God's blessed you because he wants you to be a blessing. Amen? He didn't bless you to where you just accept the blessings, but you don't share. You don't love people. You don't pray for people. You don't encourage people. He's blessed you to be a blessing. Now, there is another sea there, right? And it's a really dead sea. In fact, they call it the Dead Sea. That's because the Jordan runs into the Dead Sea. It's the lowest place on earth. Isn't that interesting in Israel? God's given us this really powerful picture. It's the Dead Sea, and it's so dead because water flows into it, but no water what? Flows out of it. 
It's so thick with sediments and so forth. You get in the Dead Sea, you can't help but float. I mean, because it just holds you up. And I'm not a good floater. I got really dense bones. In fact, my whole family is built that way. My sisters, they just get in the water, we just sink, you know? And I went in the Dead Sea, and even the Dead Sea, man, I was like, I don't know if it's going to hold me up. I got in the Dead Sea. Part of my body sinks, but my head's still up there, you know, and get my body a little bit, but it keeps me up. I'm like, you know. Then as you lose muscle and gain a little bit more fat, hold you up a little bit better, you know. <laughs> uh, so the Dead Sea is a dead sea, and it's dead for a reason, man. Because water goes in but doesn't come out. God's blessed you, man. But if you don't allow the Holy Spirit to use you, the fruit of the Spirit, love, loving people, peace, joy, long-suffering, jealous, goodness, faithfulness, you're going to get stuffed up and you're going to be a constipated Christian. Okay? Don't be a spiritually constipated Christian. Amen? I'm not going to go too far with that illustration, okay? <laughs> Just leave it there. <laughs> but uh, you don't want to be spiritually constipated where you just like, receive, 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 but you don't give out. So pray that the Lord would use you, amen? And that you would strengthen your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's so important that we get that right, you know? I love what the Apostle Paul said in Acts chapter 14, verse 22. He's talking about going from church to church, and he mentions the two main features that he teaches people after he mentions the goal of what he's doing. In verse 22, he says, he goes about, you know, as an apostle, with, you know, Silas, for instance, in that context, strengthening the souls of the disciples. If you're a follower of Christ, you're a disciple. That's a learner. You're learning from Jesus. You're growing. Amen. And he strengthens their souls. And you know what he says, how he does that? Two things. He says he encourages them to continue in the faith. So when you get together with a brother or sister, you're encouraging them to continue in the faith. Amen. To say, and you encourage them, carry on to get through their trials. Don't worry, the Lord loves you. He's going to bless you. He's going to strengthen you. He, he's for you. He's not against you. Amen? If they're getting struggling with unforgiveness, bitterness, you just say, you know, well, you don't want that. You want to continue the faith. Amen? And you want to forgive because you've been forgiven, you know? If they're just facing a trial, you say, can I pray for you, you know? You pray with them. Just spend time together and just love on them and pray for them. And if they've sinned, you say, hey, let's pray together. I've fallen short too. Lord will forgive us. And you ask for forgiveness to eat with them. Amen? You just love your brothers and sisters. Amen? And that way you're allowing the Holy Spirit to use you. It says he encouraged them to continue in the faith and that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So he also gave them these two things. Stay in the faith. But said, hey, guess what? We're facing some tribulations, man. And we've got to go through many tribulations to enter the kingdom. It's not a walk in the park. Amen? It's not a bowl of cherries, a Christian walk. Amen? You're real. And praise God, we need to... By the way, have you ever noticed that Paul's summing up what he does in ministry there? That's a lot of what we do in from the, I do from the pulpit. Do you notice that? Because Paul's an excellent master builder, and I follow his example. And I realize, man, he distilled a lot of what he did into, those, into that verse. Because that's how I can strengthen you guys to be strong converts, continuing the faith. And yeah, we're going to go through trials to enter the kingdom. So if... And Paul probably sounded like a broken record sometimes. And I'm sure I do sometimes. That's why I love to go verse by verse through scriptures because there's always something new, amen? So it keeps it fresh, but it's always the same message. Stick close to Jesus. Be encouraged, be strengthened by his grace, amen? And continue in the faith. And through many tribulations, we will enter the kingdom of God. We're going to reach our goal even as Anita did, amen? amen? Praise the Lord. Can everybody please stand? We're going to pass.